1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an, ap an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have the, this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I did not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in, all, in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, 
I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. We have always done things this way. Do you know you know what those six words are? We've always done things this way. What are what are those six words? They are the last six words of a church. a dying church. <laughs> Not just a church bin, a dying church. We've always done things this way. Now, I might add that sometimes, very often in fact, the way that we've always done things is actually the very best way and it's the most appropriate way, it's the way that ought to continue, but we live in a changing world, we live in a uh, world with a changing culture, a changing society, and uh, sometimes uh, there may actually be a more helpful way of doing things uh, if our goal is to minister the gospel and to reach people with the gospel. So when the only reason that we resist change is because we've always done things this way, what are we actually saying? Uh, It seems to me that we're saying that, um, well, I'm pretty comfortable (laughs) and even though there might be a better way of doing things, a more effective and more helpful way of doing things, I really don't want to change. Now, do you find it difficult to change? I do sometimes. Ask anyone that lives around my household. You know, when they change things on me, I, I find... You know, and the older we get, um, it's more difficult to change. It's, it's hard to change uh, when, when change means giving up the things which we personally like, giving up our own personal preferences. Uh, it's also hard to change when change means embracing something which we don't like but is actually more helpful for others, even when making that change means that uh, we can be ministering the gospel more helpfully. I wonder if that's true for you. Uh, It's not just an issue, though, in terms of how we do the ministry of church. Uh, I think this is an issue which affects us in our individual Christian lives in our individual ministry to other people um, outside of the formal church context. Let me ask you this question. Uh, Are you a person who has as your desire the desire to help non-Christians get to know God and be saved? I would hope that every one of us would say yes to that. Uh, That should be our desire. Uh, And if that is your, your desire... How much are you willing to enter into their world? Um, For example, uh, would you do things with non-Christian people who you're trying to get to know? Would you do things with them, which may be their first preference, but might be things that you don't particularly enjoy doing yourself? I'm not talking about ungodly things. I'm talking about things which are morally uh, fine. How much... Are you prepared to be flexible uh, so that you can connect with non-Christians and help them to get to know God? Now, that is an issue which um, 
Paul uh, deals with in the chapter that's before us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, If you open up your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 9, and uh, friends, there's also an outline of the talk on your service sheets as usual. Uh, If you open up and if if you have a look at uh, verse 3, we see that there is a a problem which the Apostle Paul is facing and that problem in verse 3 is that there were people who sat in judgment on Paul. Do you see that? There were people who were sitting in judgment on Paul. There were people who had the view that Paul was somehow inferior. Now, why would they think that? Let's take a a step back and think about context and background. Uh, What country is Corinth in? Corinth is in Greece. Okay. Um, you've probably forgotten everything that we looked at when we looked at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. So just to kind of get the grey matter working again, uh, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, who were the people that the Greeks respected? What kind of people did they respect? Do you remember? What category of person did the Greeks respect? What are the Greek, ancient Greeks famous for? They were famous for their philosophers. That's right. So the philosophers were the respected people in the Greek world. Um, people would come and they would, uh, would listen to philosophers as they would uh, teach in uh, public um, areas. Uh, and uh, that was kind of very much part of the culture and people's pastimes. Now, here's a question. How did the philosophers derive their income? Well, there were several different ways that they got their income. Uh, There were some philosophers who were so good that a wealthy person would become their benefactor. They would actually supply them with an income. Uh, There were other philosophers who uh, would charge people a fee to come and listen to them. So you'd have to kind of pay your ticket to listen to a philosopher. And the better and more interesting the philosopher was, Uh, the higher the fee they could charge. Uh, There were other philosophers who charged nothing. Uh, They worked with their own hands in another job that paid the bills for them. And sometimes it was that latter category of philosopher who would be looked down upon uh, by people because they worked with their own hands. Now, some of that culture... Uh, had infiltrated the church. There were some people who weren't making a great distinction between a secular public speaker, a philosopher, and a preacher. And so the culture had infiltrated the church. And there were actually men who travelled around in the ancient world um, preaching the gospel, but they were doing so for profit because people would pay them. Now, Paul wanted to make it very clear that he was not not like one of them. And so uh, when he was in Greece, we see this in Corinth, we also see it in Thessalonica, when he was in Greece, uh, Paul supported himself financially by working. What did he work as, by the way? 
He was a tent maker. Worked as a tent maker. And so what, therefore, did people think about Paul? Well, there were some people who looked down upon him and thought that he was second rate because he was working as a tent maker. And uh, in verses 1 and 2, they actually doubted that he was a real apostle. Let me read verses 1 and 2. This is a set of questions, rhetorical questions that Paul poses. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, the word apostle means someone who is sent. And in the Christian context, it's someone who has been sent by God. Uh, You remember Paul's story. Paul, as a young man, Saul, was on the road to Damascus, uh, where he was travelling to persecute Christians. And who did he meet on the Damascus road? He met the resurrected Jesus. Uh, One of the qualifications when Judas uh, finished up being an apostle Uh, for the replacement of Judas was that they wanted someone who had actually been with Jesus and Matthias was chosen. Uh, Paul had never been with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He describes himself as being one unnaturally born because he met Jesus in his resurrected and ascended ministry. But when Paul met Jesus... Uh, When he got into Damascus, Paul was commissioned by God to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He was sent by God, an apostle to the Gentiles. And now he's writing this letter to this group of this mixed bag of people from all over the Mediterranean world, Jews and Greeks and Egyptians and people from Asia Minor and And they are now people who have been saved. They now love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happened through the the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so he says to them, well, you know, if there's any doubts as to whether I'm an apostle, whether I've been sent by God, you are, are the living proof. The fact that you even exist as Christians. Paul stakes his claim that he is an apostle. Now, as an apostle, Paul and his co-worker Barnabas had certain rights. Um, you have a, look, have a look in verses 4 to 6. Uh, when Paul visited the church, he had the right to receive material support from the church, food and, and drink. Um, although Paul was single, uh, that right to material support extended to the wives of uh, apostles as well. So that's his right. He's claimed the right to be an apostle. He's then said that he's got certain rights to material support. Uh, Why did he have the right to to material support? Well, he gives three reasons. Um, In verse 7, he says, well, it's just plain common sense. Have a look at verse 7, because in verse 7 he says, look, who serves as a soldier in the army and has to pay for it himself? Um, you know, what farmer does not eat and drink from the produce that he farms? Uh, if other people 
earn a living from the work that they do, then why should not an apostle earn a living from the work of Christian ministry? That's his first argument. It's from common sense. Uh, Secondly, in verse 8, he uses an argument from the law of Moses. Let me read that for you. Verse 8. Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Now, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, uh, surely we have it all the more. So in this argument... Um, he's referring to a law in Deuteronomy where, uh, you know, God was, God's very merciful, even to animals. And uh, when the oxen is treading out the grain, uh, you know, what's an oxen going to want to do? He's going to want to eat the grain. So the temptation of the farmer is to shove a muzzle on his, you know, oxen to stop the oxen from being able to eat the grain. But God says, no, no, don't do that. Uh, let the oxen actually enjoy some of the fruit of, it, of, of, its, of its work. And what Paul's saying is that, you know, because all the scripture actually finds its fulfilment in the gospel and in kingdom work, then surely that's actually referring to people who do gospel ministry. You know, if God has got that much concern for an oxen, then surely uh, someone in ministry should derive financial support from the work that they're doing. And his third argument comes from Jesus himself. Remember in uh, Luke's Gospel, remember when Jesus sent out 72 uh, of his followers in pairs and they were to go into the towns and villages and proclaim the kingdom and Jesus says to them that uh, when you arrive at a house, if they offer you hospitality, uh, accept the hospitality because the worker deserves his wages. And uh, here in verses 13 and 14, Paul picks up on that. Uh, He says, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? That's the Old Testament. Uh, The priests actually ate the food that was offered to sacrifice. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So when Paul says the Lord has commanded, he's saying I've got a direct command from Jesus and I take it that he's referring to uh, the worker deserves his wages. Now, um, the bottom line here is this. Paul is an apostle. He's not some second-rate preacher and he has the right to receive an income from the church. Uh, It was theirs, it was his for the taking. But guess what? Paul chose not to accept any income from the church. Verse 12. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything 
rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Um, the preachers who um, earn a lot of money uh, do a lot of damage to the cause of the gospel, don't they? Um, we see that even in our own day when the media reports on... I, I read a report just in the... I think it was the Herald a few weeks ago about a popular preacher who earns $300,000 a year from his church and you know lives in mansions and drives expensive cars and all of that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that actually damages the cause of the gospel. It was the same in Corinth because when you had these preachers who were actually going around charging money for their services and even boasting about how much they could get away with charging, how much people were prepared to pay them for their ministry, uh, it damages the cause of the gospel. It dam- because it is the exact opposite. The, 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 the value system that they are promoting is the exact opposite of the value system of the gospel. The value system of the gospel is about putting God first, not money. And the value system of the gospel is that the gospel is about free forgiveness. It's not about... And it's about sacrifice for the sake of others. It's not about lining your own pocket at the expense of other people. And so these Corinthian preachers were doing great harm uh, to the cause of the gospel. And so, because of that, Paul wanted to differentiate himself from them and therefore he went the completely the opposite way and he insisted, he absolutely insisted on receiving zero, nothing. Uh, He would rather work twice as hard, he would rather put his heart into preaching and teaching and then work all night so intense rather than have anyone have any opportunity to accuse him of being greedy and being someone who is peddling the gospel for profit. Um, We get a bit of a snapshot of what that was like for Paul when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Can I get you to turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 for a moment? Um, On page 838. When Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, by the way, is in Greece as well. So there was the same cultural issues there. Uh, There was a specific issue in Thessalonica that some of the Christians were actually getting lazy and weren't working at all. And Paul wanted to challenge that. Have a look at what he says in verse 6 of chapter 3. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Uh, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, uh, he shall not eat. It's a different issue Paul's addressing in Thessalonica, but that uh, passage gives you a snapshot of the fact that 
He was actually toiling very hard uh, in his work for the purpose that he could actually teach them something about godliness. It was the same in Corinth. In Corinth, he wanted to differentiate himself from the profiteers. So the Corinthians were valuing philosophers and even preachers who could boast about how much they could charge. And what Paul has done with that value system is he's taken their value system and he's turned it on its head. He's turned it upside down. And, you know, whereas they're boasting about how much they can charge, in verse 15, uh, Paul boasts about the fact that he charges Zippo, nothing, for his message. He gave up that right so that nobody could accuse him of peddling the gospel for profit. Now, it would be easy to uh, take this passage and use it as um, some sort of a passage to teach about how much ministers should get paid. Um, You'll be relieved I'm not going to do that. Uh, The big issue, and thank you very much for the way that you do pay us and support us so that we can do gospel ministry, Uh, The big issue here is something which applies to every single one of us as Christians and the issue is flexibility. Flexibility for the sake of the gospel. Paul was flexible on this issue about whether or not he received an income. Why was he flexible? Uh, Was it just because Paul was an easygoing kind of guy? I don't think so. Paul was not an easy kind, easygoing kind of guy at all. Uh, have a look at verse 19. In verse 19 he says, Although I am free... Now, because unlike some philosophers who had a wealthy benefactor who could tell them what to, what to say and pull the strings, uh, Paul was free from that kind of compromise. He says, Although I am free... I make myself a slave to everyone. I belong to no man. I'm free. But I actually intentionally enslave myself to everybody to win as many as possible. Now, what does that mean? One of the uh, examples I find interesting from church history is that in the 19th century, when the European missionaries went to China to preach the gospel, um, one of the cultural practices uh, that they had was that all of the missionaries, like all of the other Europeans uh, living in China, used to live all together in small European compounds Uh, in the major coastal cities of China. And so these compounds, they might have an English compound and a French compound and whatever compound, Uh, people would live inside these compounds and the purpose of the compounds was to protect them from the people, um, to protect the Europeans, including the missionaries, from the people, the very people Uh, whom the missionaries were trying to reach with the gospel. And the missionaries would wear uh, European clothes, suits and ties and hats and 
dresses and all of that 19th century kind of stuff. Uh, they would eat Western foods. Um, that was their culture. And they were, they were very comfortable with that. Uh, and of course, that was their right. Uh, they had the right to, to dress and to eat however they wanted to. But one of the missionaries, um, Hudson Taylor, um, James Hudson Taylor, he had this idea about giving up his rights culturally and he started to do things which were unthinkable. Uh, for example, he decided to move out of the compound in Shanghai and to go and rent a tiny little um, house uh, in the marketplace where the Chinese people lived. Now, that was an astonishing thing to do. Um, not everybody was happy that he did that, but the, then he did something worse. Uh, he went and... Um, I'm tempted to say adopted the Peter Charles hairstyle. <laughs> Just said it. <laughs> he had his head shaved... Uh, except all the hair at the back, which he then had th that sort of plated into a Chinese, um, what do they call it, a pigtail of his own hair. A and then he ditched the suit and the tie and the hat and he completely adopted Chinese clothing. Now... No Westerner had ever done this. No missionary had ever done this because that just wasn't their culture and it wasn't comfortable for them. They didn't feel that that was them. And when Hudson Taylor did it, then other Westerners, including the missionaries, some of the missionaries were ashamed of him. Uh, they were appalled and they were ashamed of this young guy who was doing this. Uh, he had the right not to do it. He had the right to dress as a Westerner and eat Western food and live in the compound. But he gave up that right um, because he wanted to identify with the people who he was reaching. And guess what happened? The Chinese then felt that he was a man who actually respected them and respected their culture uh, because he entered into their world, stepped out of his own world, out of his own comfort zone and entered into theirs. And they started to listen to his message um, and uh, people started to actually hear about Jesus and believe in Jesus and were saved. Um, people were being converted. And over time, uh, other missionaries saw what was happening and they caught the vision as well. And they began to follow him. Uh, even people who'd heard about this back in England started signing up uh, to uh, go to China, um, usually with the expectation uh, that they would return uh, in a coffin or not return at all. But it, it revolutionised missionary work and as a result of that, the gospel of Jesus began to flourish in that land 
uh, and they broke free from the, the coastal cities and actually went into the inland, um, taking the gospel with them. And the impact of that work is still felt today uh, as the gospel continues to flourish in China. Uh, in many places they can, they can uh, show that the root of that work today is in that work that began uh, through the work of Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission. Now, I don't know if Hudson Taylor realised it or not, but by doing what he did, he was actually, there was nothing new. He was actually just being like the Apostle Paul. Um, see what Paul says if you go to uh, verse 20. He says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul made a deliberate effort to become all things to all men. And so uh, if he wanted to reach Jews with the gospel, then he would become a Jew. Now, of course, Paul was actually a Jew, but because he had... He did a lot of ministry amongst Gentiles. Sometimes he had to make a specific conscious decision to be Jewish again. Um, we see an example of that in Acts chapter 16, where uh, Paul took Timothy with him on an evangelistic uh, trip. And Timothy was half Greek. He was half Gentile. And when Paul arrived in a town to preach the gospel, where did he normally go first? He'd normally go to the... Who did he try to reach with the gospel first in any town? Go to the synagogue, because that's where the Jews would be. Because he'd, he'd try to reach the Jews first. And so because of that, Paul was taking Timothy uh, to reach these Jews at the synagogue, and Paul's, Timothy's half Gentile, he wasn't circumcised. Now, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. In fact, if anyone says that you must be circumcised to be a Christian, Paul says in Galatians that that person should go to hell. Uh, let them be anathema um, because that's a false gospel. You don't have to be a, circumcised to be a Christian. But in order to reach these Jews so that they would actually listen to Timothy's gospel. Paul did not want his uncircumcised state to be a barrier, so he just had Timothy circumcised. Become like a Jew in order to win the Jews. Uh, in Acts chapter 21, there were some Jewish Christians who thought that Paul did not respect the law of Moses. And, and Paul was trying to reach them with the gospel. And he, the, so he didn't want that to become an issue between him and them. So what he did is he went up to the temple and he had his head shaved. 
he underwent a purification ritual. Now, he didn't have to do this. He had the right not to do it. But he did that so as to show these Jews that he was a person who, was, who respected the law of Moses. He was prepared to give up his right not to do that so that he could have the privilege of ministering the gospel to these Jews. Um, by the same token, if Paul wanted to minister the gospel to Gentiles who were without the law, uh, he'd become like a Gentile. And that meant that he would do things which were uncomfortable for him to do, like eating with Gentiles. Uh, you know, imagine if you've been brought up all your life on kosher food, you know, pork has never, you've never even smelt pork, let alone tasted it, but you're trying to reach these Gentiles with the gospel and you go to their place and you sit down and you pour, put pork into your mouth, chew it, swallow it, and digest it. I don't think that would be easy to stomach. But Paul would do that uh, for the sake of reaching Gentiles with the gospel. He gave up his own preferences, his own traditions, his own rights uh, for the sake of others. Uh, I understand that a chameleon is this animal that changes its skin colour according to the colour of the environment around it. I've never seen it. I'd like to meet meet a chameleon one day, uh, but we meet a chameleon in the Apostle Paul because that was what he was like. That's how flexible he was for the sake of the gospel. He didn't expect people to become like him. I think sometimes we as Christians, we can expect people to become like us culturally uh, before we'll reach them with the gospel. No, Paul became like them. What does he say in verse 22? Verse 22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, one of the problems in Christian churches and a problem with Christians in general is that uh, sometimes we can be very, very unwilling to change things which are just cultural. We can be very, very unwilling to change things that don't matter two hoots in the greater perspective of the kingdom of God. Uh, but by the same token, people can be completely willing to change on the things that we must not change. Uh, there are Christians who are only too happy to water down the content of the gospel. Uh, there are Christians who are only too happy to take on board the moral system of our world because they think that that's what connects them uh, with our society. And so we change the things that we shouldn't change and we won't change the things that we should change. Uh, Paul never does that. Uh, in verse 21, he makes the point that he is not free from God's law, that he is under the law of Christ. And so as Christians, we need to be flexible about our own rights and preferences, but we need to be totally inflexible when it comes to the gospel and to matters of godliness. 
So what about those last words of a dying church? We've always done things this way. It's hard to change, isn't it? But for the sake of the gospel, it's got to be worth it. Um, Have you been watching the Commonwealth Games lately? Of course you have. Some of you haven't. No. I I saw an interview yesterday. There was this young 15-year-old swimmer who won gold, Australian, of course. And uh, she talked about what her life was like. And she says, I I get up at 4.30 every morning. I go and do two hours of uh, training in the pool, come home, zip off to school. As soon as school's over, mum picks me up. We go back to the pool. I do several more hours of training. I go to bed and I get up and do the same thing the next day and I've been doing that for the last few years at least. It's a lot of training, isn't it? It's hard work. And Paul actually takes this illustration of the athlete Uh, competing in games and remember Corinth that's where they had games Um, all the stuff we do now is just a replica of what they used to do he takes this uh, example of an athlete in verses 24 to 27 and he says that to be so single minded for the cause of the gospel and to be so deliberate in terms of actually giving up our own rights and being flexible requires discipline and deliberate effort, the, the effort and the discipline of an athlete. It's not easy getting up at 4.30 in the morning to train. And in the same way, as we seek to share Christ with others, uh, it's not easy for us to be so single-minded. It's not easy for us to be thinking about how we can be all things to all men so as to win some. But we need to do that, don't we? It's hard sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I get invited out to things by my non-Christian friends and the things they invite me out to are not really the things I particularly want to do. I don't enjoy some of their things. It's a struggle within me because I think, well, if I'm going to actually connect with them, then maybe sometimes I just don't dismiss their invitations and say, no, I'm not interested, but actually make the choice and go and do, get out, step out of the comfort zone for the sake of being all things to all men. And as a church, we may be comfortable with the way things are, but we do, from time to time, need to consider Uh, whether the way that we do things might actually be a cultural hindrance to those whom God wants us to reach. As individuals, we may need to step outside of our comfort zone, spend time with non-Christians on their turf. Uh, We've got a Bible study group in the church that um, uh, is a group of of seniors. Um, I'm the youth group of that Bible study group. And I'm over 50. And we want to reach seniors with the gospel. So on November the 17th, we officially commence meeting um, at a retirement village. We've been to the management of the retirement village and we've said, can we start up a Christian fellowship group? Uh, you know, a group that meets together to learn about God. Uh, in this retirement village, will you supply us with a 
um, with a venue, with a room that we can do that in. Now, we've got plenty of venues in our own homes. We want to go there so that we can be on their turf and be more helpful to some of our own people who live there, but to use that as an opportunity to reach out to others uh, with the, 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 the gospel of Jesus. Uh, to meet non-Christians on their turf, to go the extra mile for them. So the question for us all is, are we prepared, like Paul, to become all things to all men so as to win some? Let me leave you with that question this morning. I've said enough. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the single-minded vision and passion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, We thank you that he was so clear-minded that he could see that uh, it was worth giving up his right to receive an income so that he would not be confused with those people who peddled the gospel for profit. Father, we thank you that he was prepared to uh, be flexible uh, on matters cultural so as to win people for Christ. And we pray that as we think about the implications for us um, over coming days that we would reflect on this passage in our uh, prayer times in particular and that we would think about how each one of us as individuals can be more flexible uh, for the sake of the gospel and we pray this in Jesus name Amen